I also have really small ears, so that's an issue. It's great to be with you this morning. Um, it's a privilege and a blessing. Um, it's always a blessing to uh, open God's Word and share it. And it's also a blessing to uh, uh, have so many connections here with your church. Um, because we're all brothers and sisters in Christ, even though I attend and am a member at the First Baptist Church in Bar Harbor, um, I have a lot of connections here. Um, my youngest daughter, Eliana, goes to Maris Academy. My next daughter, Naomi, comes to the youth group. And I've had the uh, privilege to get to be uh, friends with your pastor, Pastor Blake. Um, I really appreciate your church. I appreciate Pastor Blake. I appreciate his, uh, his kingdom mindset. It's not all about um, Southwest Congregational Church. He's about the kingdom of God, and I love that about him. I've gotten to know Blake uh, a, a lot better in the last year. We uh, went to Washington, D.C. together and became acquainted more. We spent about four days together. And uh, believe it or not, he still asked me to come and preach today. So um, here I am. <clears throat> I am not a, uh, a preacher by trade. I am a uh, painting contractor. That's sort of my tent-making job. And I love to preach because I learn so much. I don't know if you'll love it, but I love it. And... Um, it gets me into God's word, and I learn a lot. I mean, one of the things I learned recently was uh, don't try to give yourself a haircut the night before that you're going to preach at another church. And uh, that's one thing I would, wouldn't do again. But other than that, I've learned a lot of different things uh, about the Lord. And anytime we're in God's word, it's, it's transforming. It's, it's um, growth for us. So uh, let's get started this morning. Uh, if you would turn to your, in your Bibles to Luke 2, 1 to 7, we're going to read this. The title of the sermon this morning is called Christmas and the Cross. We don't usually put those two um, stories together, do we? All right, starting in verse 2. Now in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. This was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone was on his way to register for the census, each to his own town. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family of David, in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child. While they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. Matthew sixteen twenty-one to 23. I'll give you a moment to get there. This is a somewhat topical uh, sermon. I like uh, expository. We're, we'll do a little bit of that, but um, 
We don't often find these two verses together. Matthew 16, 21 to 23, starting in verse 21. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised up on the third day. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me, for you are not setting your mind on God's interests, but man's. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just lean upon you and your grace that I might uh, say words that are of the spirit, that are transformational and whatever else, Lord, that people would quickly forget. Also, I, pr- I just pray that you would uh, prepare the hearts of the listeners today, that we would be careful how we hear your word, that we would have our hearts as, a, as the soil in the a parable of the sower that, is, uh, that will bear fruit and, and the seeds will grow. Um, and we just ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Christmas and the cross. Christmas is over. We've taken down the trees. We just did that the other day. And the lights, that's a lot of work, isn't it? We vacuumed up the, the needles, put the decorations back in the attic. We celebrated the new year. We've made New Year's resolutions. How many here have made New Year's resolutions? Oh, no. Okay, I'm still working on mine. Um, you may be thinking to yourself, why is John... Speaking about Christmas, doesn't he know Christmas is over? It's time to get on with the new year and new things. We'll get to that in a minute. Well, um, I actually preached a, this sermon last week, and I changed it a little bit. And uh, I needed to add an illustration. So today I brought an illustration for you to see. How many here like puzzles? Yeah, I don't like puzzles. Um, this is a vintage Kellogg's cereal, the little cereals we usually give them to the kids at uh, Christmas. And um, I really hate puzzles because I'm task-oriented. And this one here happens to be a, a, a thousand-piece puzzle. And um, I prefer more like a 20-piece puzzle so I can get it done quickly. But have you ever tried to put a puzzle together without the big picture? The, you know, you usually put the picture up and then you, you uh, can see where you're going and what it's about. It, this in particular is hard even with the picture. And without the picture, it's almost impossible. I'm usually pretty good at like getting the edges and then I stop. But uh, we did have this puzzle out. It hasn't been put together. Um, it's back in the box now. Might go in the fireplace, I don't know. So, um, it's, when you look at the Bible, it's sort of, if we don't know the big story of the Bible, if we don't know what it's about, the storyline, it's very confusing sometimes. Have you ever found that? You're reading... Um, you're reading uh, Leviticus, and you're reading about, um, then you read uh, the Christmas story. 
you um, you read about David and Goliath, and then you read about um, Jesus healing the paralytic, and you're like, and Noah and the ark, Adam and Eve, and you look at it and you go, how does all this fit together? Well, I think it's it's like a puzzle, really. If we don't know the uh, the big story or the big picture, we have a hard time putting the pieces together. But what is the storyline of the Bible? What is the big picture? Well, first of all, it's the greatest story that's ever been ever told. It's the story of redemption. It's a story about a person, a rescuer, a savior, a hero. Someone had prayed that uh, Jesus is the greatest gift on Christmas. That took me a long time to realize as a kid because I always wanted the gifts. And I remember going to Christmas Eve services and waiting for them to get over so I could get home and open up a gift because we always got to open a gift, one one gift before uh, Christmas. So understanding this big picture is invaluable to understanding the Bible and understanding how we should live, what our purpose in life is. You know, many people tend to take the Bible out of context, and then it becomes a bunch of fragmented stories, like David and Goliath and Noah and the Ark, and we try to extract a moral from that or a principle to live by. And don't get me wrong, we can, we can do that. There, there are good things that we need to learn, but it misses the big picture. If we lose Christ in the big picture, if we lose the story of redemption, what can happen is that Christ, we don't know who he is. We don't we lose the meaning and Christ becomes a good teacher or an example for us to follow, a prophet, but not a savior, not God. Well, I just wanted to a little footnote here um, a good book or a couple of good books to get your hands on if you really want to understand um, the storyline of the Bible. And uh, one of them is called, if you're taking notes, Vaughn Roberts is the author, God's Big Picture, Tracing the Storyline of the Bible. And another one, Graham Goldsworthy, According to Plan, The Unfolding Revelation of God in the Bible. Uh, the, these authors, along with... Um, People like Tim Keller. I know that you've probably, uh, I think you read The Prodigal God and different uh, things from Tim Keller. I think there's something in your bulletin from him. But he, he brings every sermon comes back to the gospel, comes back to Christ. And uh, like I said, if we lose the storyline, uh, we, we don't understand the meaning. So what with with the Christmas story that we talked about with a cross Christ's death on the cross and the Christmas story being his, his incarnation. What is this grand story that these other stories are part of? Well, there's a lot of ways we could put it, but it's God's plan to, to bring a rebellious people who rejected him back to himself. To do this through Christ, through his birth, death and resurrection. Further, it's not just forgiveness 
But God's grand plan is to make a new heaven and a new earth where we live in his presence forever. No more death, no more pain, no more disease, no more disappointments, just to name a few. The Bible reveals this story from Genesis to Revelation. It's a story that's his story that it, that unfolds throughout all of history that is still unfolding now. But we must never forget it's always pointing to a person, a savior, a rescuer, a hero. You could look at it this way. One person uh, looks at, at it this way. The Old Testament is Jesus predicted. The Gospels are Jesus revealed. The Acts are Jesus preached. And Revelation is Jesus expected. So um, the gospel, this big plan of redemption is key to understanding the Christmas story and the cross of Jesus and the whole Bible. If we get our eyes off Jesus, we're going to get lost in the Bible. One of the things I want to point out this morning about God's grand plan to redeem us his redemptive purposes, is, you know, it wasn't an afterthought by God. You know, sometimes we look at it and we say, well, here we have God creating Adam and Eve in the garden, and um, he was caught off guard and they sinned. So he had to come up with plan B. But that's that's not what the scripture tells us. Before the beginning of time, God wanted to put his glory on display. How how does God display his glory? He displays his glory by showing his grace, by showering forgiveness on people who don't deserve it. He knew Adam and Eve would reject him. He knew they would need a savior. He knows we need a savior. Jesus has always been the center of God's plan. And Jesus in his work will always be the center of God's plan and his glory. So we see the gospel is an eternal plan that the triune God unfolded. You can look at it this way. God the Father planned it. God the Son, Christ, procures our salvation, and God the Holy Spirit applies it to our lives. Well, let me just look at First um, Peter 1, 20 to 21, about this whole idea that God might have been caught off guard and had to change his plans. So it was an eternal plan. First Peter 1, 20 to 21 tells us, For he was foreknown, Jesus, before the foundation of the world, but has appeared in these last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Another verse about how God has chosen us before the foundation of the world. If you're here today and you've placed your faith in Jesus and you're following him, that means he has chosen you. A lot of times we like to look at it like we choose him. And sometimes we even say things, I found Jesus, like he was lost. 
but it's the other way around. We're lost. So it says in Ephesians 1, 4, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world. So even before the world was created, he chose us. Before we were born. He chose us, why? To be holy and blameless in his sight, in love. So we have this morning Luke's description of Christ's birth, detailing that. And Matthew's description of Christ's death. Think of these two great historical events in redemptive history as two pieces of a puzzle that fit together in God's big picture of redemption through Christ. When we take these events out of context or isolate them out of the big picture of redemption, we are in danger of losing its meaning. Do you ever put a puzzle together and you're miss, you find out you're missing pieces at the end? It's kind of frustrating. Usually, let's talk about Christ's death. You know, uh, usually when we we uh, celebrate a child's birth, we don't think or talk about the child's death. Is that true, mostly? Uh, we celebrate the life and what this child is going to do and who this child is. But Jesus was born to die. He came to live and to die. Many people look at it and go, he was a great teacher. He was a great prophet. He was our great example. But in the end, it was too bad. He he died. He was killed. But he came to pay a price to be our substitute. On the cross for us, you know, Jesus. Well, let me back up. It is even predicted in the Old Testament when it talks about Jesus coming. It even predicts his death. If you look at the Old Testament, mostly the Old Testament is about Jesus coming and about all the prophecies about him. When we look at the New Testament, it's about Jesus fulfilling all the Old Testament prophecies and predictions. Uh, Isaiah 53, 4-6 talks about this, talks about how how uh, the Old Testament prophesied about his coming. And actually, I didn't do the whole chapter, but if you read the whole chapter, I just picked some parts of it just for time's sake. But if you read that, it's, it's amazing. Here we have Isaiah's prophecy hundreds of years before Christ's coming. Isaiah 53, 4-6 says, Surely our griefs he himself bore, and our sorrows he carried, Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening of our well-being fell upon him. And by his scourging we are healed. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. That's pretty clear. It's pretty specific, isn't it? Jesus predicts his own death and resurrection in our text in Matthew 16, 21 to 23. I'll read that again if you're following along. Verse 21. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that we must that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and scribes 
and be killed and be raised up on the third day. So he knew why he came. And he knew where he was headed. I like how Hebrews talks about for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. We're the joy set before him. Some people look at that and say, well, the joy was him going back to the father. Well, he already knew that joy, but he came for for us to save us. That was the joy. He endured the cross. He knew why he came. Let, but let's look at Peter's response in verse 22. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord. Imagine that. This shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me, for you are not setting your mind on God's interests, but man's. God's interests are to have a people that glorify him and worship him. That relate to him, that are his children. Many people today tell the story of Jesus without the work that Christ came to do on the cross to their peril. They try to make Jesus, as, as I've said, as a good teacher or a prophet. But this is not the Jesus of the Bible, is it? This is a distortion of who he is and why he came. You know, many don't mind a babe in the manger. A Jesus who never grows up. A once a, once a year Jesus. But a, but a Christ a savior without a cross, or I should say a Christ without a cross is not a savior. And Jesus knew why he came. You know, what I think is interesting is that uh, Christ and his coming is so different from the major world religions and uh, the prophets of those religions who tell their hearers, this is the way to life. This is the way to uh, salvation. Do this, do this and that, and you will find the path. You will be saved. But as we've been saying this morning, the Bible points to a Jesus who's a rescuer. Who came and died. And who says, not go do, 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 but trust me, place your faith in me. I've done it. It is finished. He says, I am the way, the truth and the life. It's grace. He's done it all. I always like to share the gospel. And sometimes in church we say, well, everyone's saved here. But not everybody is saved that comes to church. And it's always good to, to think about what Christ has come and, and done for us. If you're here today and you know the Christmas story, but you don't know about the cross and why he came. He came to die in our place. He knows how to save. He's a savior. And that's a good thing because I need saving a lot. I know he's, he's died for my sins. He saved me. And, and that happened many years ago. But you know, he has to constantly save me from myself. I, I get myself into all kinds of problems. And if you don't believe me, ask my wife, Ruth. So he's a savior. He knows how to save us. Maybe you're here today and you need saving. 
maybe you have uh, an issue or a circumstance or an illness or a financial problem. He knows how to save you. But he is the great rescuer. He saves us from evil, from sin, from death. And he saves us from the wrath of God, which we deserve. Jesus lived the life we should have lived, a sinless life. Jesus died the death we should have died, a sinner's death. But Jesus rose from the dead. He conquered sin and death. And now we have newness of life because of that. We have eternal life. Acts 4.12 says, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. And he loves us. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5.8 If you don't know him today, the Bible tells us today is the day of salvation. It always tells us today and now is the time. And you know, we're always in danger when we persistently unbelieve or persistently refuse to believe him because the more we reject him, the duller the light comes. So it's always with a sense of urgency that, that I want to preach that, that if you can hear this and, and your heart is being convicted, don't put it off. Don't put it off today. Now's the day. You know, we shouldn't put it off because life is short. Death is certain. Judgment is coming. And Jesus is the way to life. If you want to come to Jesus and you don't know how, how do you come to Jesus? That's something we all should know, right? If we're believers, because we may have the opportunity to share that with someone. We simply believe on Jesus in what he has done for us, who he is and what he's done. Place your faith in him, what he's done for us on the cross. Not your good works, not coming to church, not reading your Bible, but putting your faith in Jesus Christ and receiving his grace. It's a free gift. Ephesians 2, 8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves it is the gift of God, lest anyone should boast. Place your faith in him today. And if you haven't done that, I'm sure there are people here that can help you, and I'll help you. It's always a privilege to share the gospel with someone. So Christian brothers and sisters, you've placed your faith in Christ. You know why he came. You know why he died. You know why he rose from the dead. But do you know, we are still part of God's unfolding plan. We're still, God is still unfolding this glorious plan. We tend to sometimes think that, well, this was all done in the past. And now we just muddle through and wait for him to come back. And uh, that's not the case. The story's not over. Are you living in the context of God's redemptive plan. Are you living in that today? Do you know what time it is in God's redemptive plan? I believe the Bible tells us we're in the last times. 
This is the time between Christ's ascension and Christ's second coming. We've been in this time for about 2,000 years. Did you know his second coming is all that remains? That's it. How should we live in these last times? Well, Jesus told us we're not living differently than those. The purposes that he has for us are not different than they were for the disciples and the followers of Christ 2000 years ago. It's what we're to be about as the church, collectively, his people and individually We're to proclaim the gospel that I just proclaimed. We're to make disciples. Jesus told us that in Matthew 28. Just before he ascended to heaven, he said he left and he said, now continue on, continue this work. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. This age has an end. Um, Notice just two things. Verse 20, Jesus gives us the Holy Spirit to spread this gospel. He didn't just leave us here alone. We have the privilege of being used by him and spreading the gospel and making disciples. But he doesn't leave us alone to do that. And also notice verse 19. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. God's redemptive plan is to have worshipers from every nation. Revelation tells us, after these things, I looked and behold, a great multitude, which no one could count from every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues standing before the throne and before the lamb clothed in white robes and palm branches were in their hands and they cry out with a loud voice saying salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. That's his purpose. He wants he wants worshipers from every tribe, nation and tongue. So how do we proclaim this gospel? How do we proclaim it in 2016? Well, basically the same way we always proclaim it. There are basically two ways we can proclaim God's word. One, with our words, with the things that we say, and with our lives. And sometimes if we don't proclaim it first with our lives, well, I say mostly, we won't get a chance to proclaim it with our words because people are always watching us. The question we have to ask ourselves is, what do others conclude about Jesus when they watch our lives? So with our words, number one, we proclaim the message that Jesus came, that Jesus died, that Jesus rose, that he died on the cross in our place. The death we should have died. And we do it with our lives. We claim we proclaim who Jesus is. We proclaim the gospel with our lives. Where God has sovereignly placed us. And I always, I always like to, to say that because God has sovereignly placed each one of us in a certain place that we can share the gospel. Sometimes we look at it and say, 
Well, that's the job. We give our offering and tithes. That's the job of the pastor. And we're just kind of waiting here for Christ's return. But that's everyone's job. It's our job in our jobs. We all have people maybe we work with. We have uh, people we go to school with, young people, uh, people, neighbors. Um, It goes on and on. We each have a sphere of influence that no one else has, that Pastor Blake will not have. And that's where we proclaim with our lives, with our words, where he's placed us. We forgive one another because in the gospel we've been forgiving. So we're, we're living out that gospel. We love God because he first loved us. We obey because we are loved and accepted. We don't obey to earn God's favor. We don't obey to earn salvation. We do it because he loves us, because of what he's done for us. We love one another because Christ has loved us. So it's all connected with the gospel. You know, one of the things that's interesting is that it says they will know you are Christians by your love for one another. So we, as we love each other is a witness to the world, the way we love each other. We extend grace and mercy to others, our family, our friends, because we have received grace and mercy. And I could go on and on. We have joy in the Lord. We don't we don't have to live like the world. We live differently. And that's attractive to the world. Many times we think that the gospel is the ABCs, the basics of Christianity. But we have to remember that it's not the ABCs, it's the A to Z. We never move away from the gospel. If we move away from the gospel, we're just giving people information on how to live a better life or how to clean up their lives. The gospel is what transforms lives. And proclaiming the gospel is what brings people to salvation. Not arguing, convincing people. If we don't proclaim the gospel, there's, there's not going to be transformation. Because the Holy Spirit takes the gospel and does his work inside of people's hearts. But he uses the word of God and he uses his people. So, remember to ask yourselves... What would others conclude about Jesus Christ by watching our lives? This is our meaning. This is our purpose. So where do we where do we proclaim the gospel? Everywhere. So I, I, I talked a little bit about the uh, Christmas and the cross, and I, I'll just uh, wrap it up. The other thing that happens is when we extract parts of the gospel and take them out of context, as the world does, what happens is they lose their meaning. They become trivialized or uh, sentimental stories, quaint, nostalgic. They lose the meaning of who Christ is and become an isolated story in itself. And unfortunately, it becomes irrelevant to many in the modern world today. Um, it's nostalgic because we like to we like shepherds and angels and the quaintness 
of the stories in the three kings and baby in the manger kind of gets elevated there every year with uh, Frosty and Rudolph and um, Santa Claus. Um, in fact, I always find it a little, and I'm not making fun of people because they don't know, but uh, I always find it a little bit um, interesting when you see the nativity uh, scene and, and Santa Claus and Frosty all together on someone's lawn. But it's not a trivial and sentimental story, is it? It's a real story with real historical um, events in historical times, historical people. Um, just as a little bit of a side, I, when you look at uh, the text we talked about, Mary and, and um, Joseph going to Bethlehem, you know, if you really think about that, um, it sort of breaks down that romantic, nostalgic view um, about these events, you know, you figure uh, Mary's on a donkey because she's in the third trimester of her pregnancies, pregnancy. Um, not many women like to walk very much at that time. Um, they're going not on a couple's retreat or getaway to work on the relationship. They're going to do something we all love at this time of year is pay taxes. See, it's it's. It's just amazing God's sovereignty to orchestrate all this because the Savior had to be born in Bethlehem. And then you think when they get there, there's no room for them. That's not really quaint when your wife's about to have a child or give birth. So they end up going into a stall where it's smelly, uh, where there's animals, and they have uh, Jesus is born. Okay? They're... they're, uh, they're poor people. They probably don't have a lot of means. And then when you think about the quaintness of a sociopath named Herod coming to kill every baby under two, it kind of loses that Hallmark Christmas card type of view we have sometimes. And then they have to flee to Egypt. So it, it's really not a, a trivial, um, nostalgic, quaint, sentimental story. So that's really important for us to always keep things in context. Keep, keep the word in context when, when you're reading it. All right, I'll stop on the bunny trails. Um, in conclusion, I want to give you some remembers, things to remember. Remember our rescuer, our hero, our savior, lying in the manger, his birth. Remember our savior grew up. He lived a perfect life, the life we couldn't live. He died on the cross, the death we should have died, and he rose again. Remember, believers, what time it is. It's the last days. It's the last times. Proclaim the good news. Proclaim the good news with your words, with your lies. And finally, remember, he's coming back. Revelation 21:12. Behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me, to render to every man according to what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for your sovereignty, for your grand plan of redemption that um, you chose us before the, the before you created the world. We're not insignificant. You love us. We're part of this huge plan, but you never forget about us. You never forget about us as the individual. You love us. You take care of us. You're our Father. We're your children. Lord, help us to proclaim your word with our lives. Lord, help us not to get distracted by the things of the world. Help us not to get distracted by sin, by the evil one. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Help us to remember that. Help us to live our lives on purpose. Help us to remember that you are coming back. You said that so many times in in your word, in the Gospels. Like a thief in the night, you'll be back. Help us to live with that sense of urgency, Lord. And uh, help us on this island, um, Southwest Congregational Church, and the people here in First Baptist Church of Bar Harbor, to be proclaiming the gospel, your people. Help us to be found faithful. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.